Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am David Rothkopf, and I am here in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK with Evelyn Farkas of the Atlantic Council and Ed Luce of the Financial Times, and far, far away in London, England, in the third (laughs) sub-basement of whatever they have over there that's the equivalent of this, no, is General Corey Shockey of the IISS. Um, And, you know, there's so much to talk about because the world is going to hell in a handbasket. It's hard to know where to start. But I think what we should do, even though to our listeners, this was a few days ago, um, is start with the Mueller indictments uh, because they have a sort of broader foreign policy context and because they were the sort of first big piece of the U.S. government doing anything meaningful about this Russian plot to attack the United States elections. Um, and of course, today, the day of the taping of this, the Russians have come out and parroted the Trump line, um, which is to say the indictment does not say specifically that this had any effect on the election. But the other thing they said, which really added a lot of credibility, and I'll start with you, Corey, because uh, you're closer to the Russians. Um, and Jer- Geographically. <laughs> Geographically. And Jeremy Corbyn, which is almost the same thing. Um, it, it, the, the Russians said, but of course we don't do this because we don't meddle in the affairs of other countries. And I was like, well, that's probably not the strongest argument you could make. But what what was your reaction when you were sitting there having tea and scones and clotted cream? <laughs> as you do every afternoon when the little tea trolley is brought into your office um when you heard about this uh this set of indictments so uh two things thing one there is one area of beneficent russian influence here in london and that is the press for champagne button at restaurants around town you can always tell where where the big money Russians are going because there's the press for champagne button. I've never, Ed is, Ed is like, I didn't see that when I was in England. I, I want to move back to London. There's a button. <laughs> the champagne comes. Yeah. That's, that sounds good. Like a water cooler, but it's, it's uh-huh. champagne. I love the Russians. Yeah, go on. Exactly so, right. Yeah. So, so let us say there has been some influence in our societies, but that's pretty much where it stops. Um, And that the Russians are ridiculously trying to deny 
this or trying to suggest that, you know, it's our fault for having free societies. Uh, ought to solidify our resolve to make our societies stronger and more resilient and to make each and every one of us better educated media consumers so that we are not as vulnerable in future elections as the indictments uh, unquestionably clear and even Donald Trump's national security advisor has emphasized, uh, there is no doubt that the Russians interfered in our elections. Yeah, yeah he did. Evelyn, you were in Munich. You probably yeah. heard him say that. Uh, well, what I heard actually was very interesting. I heard the Russians parroting back everything Donald Trump and other administration officials said, effectively trying to un well, not exactly deny, but you know, at least exonerate them, but not really deny what Russia did. The Russians themselves, which surprised me, in just parroting back the Trump language, didn't actually come out and say, we did not do this. So I thought it was very interesting. They still don't want to categorically deny that they did it, um, in part because they want the world to actually understand that they did it <laughs> and that they could do this again. Um, watch what's happening in Italy. We'll see. But the reality is that for the Russians, there there is increased pressure because of this, because there are a lot of facts coming out. But it, it behooves us to explain to people actually what happened. By, because by we the keep way. saying, the indictments, the indictments. Okay, what are the indictments about? The Russians hired a bunch of really young people. They, they, they made sure they all knew a lot of colloquial English. And then they taught him stuff about America. And then they put him in this, in this building that they call a factory. And, and these people are called trolls. But they're young people. And they were, they were taught to take on false identities. In some cases, there were real Americans who had died or they had stolen their Social Security numbers, whatever. And then they started cr creating personas online and then creating followers. And then the Russians started paying people to organize protests. I don't even know actually if they were paying people. Let me let me edit myself. So, but nevertheless, influencing people. Why don't you do a protest on whatever day, you know, Betty? So then those were real Americans, not Russian trolls. So this thing started to bloom and blossom. And they were creating all this counter information and counter protest. And in Initially, of course, this was just aimed at creating more and more chaos in our system. But as the indictments explain, over time, it and I don't know, from 2014 when they were just trying to create these personas, at some point by 2016, they decided we are okay with Bernie and Trump and not with everyone else. So let's kind of slant everything towards Trump and Bernie. So it was... Anti Jill Stein. And Jill Stein. They didn't mention, I didn't see her name mentioned specifically. But I am sure, by the way, this is like a footnote here, um, that Robert Mueller is looking but at her. But she's one of the worst. Because she took money. She took money from the Russians. Anyway, so I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but I do feel like people listening should understand. I don't want indictments to become a code word for, what is, what is that about again? <laughs> you know, I want it to be clear that people were... Uh, Russians were creating false personas, and then they were pumping money into the U.S. system through these ads and things that they took well, these out also, on Facebook. These and things the also other had knock-on effects because some of these identities, some of these uh, false personas or, uh, uh, that, that were being used were then retweeted by Donald Trump Jr. and by yeah. Kellyanne Conway yeah. and by other people associated with the campaign. And so there was a multiplier effect. And, you know, even Facebook, which pushed back on some of the implications here, uh, had to admit that there were 120 million 
Americans who saw the ads, which were just a tiny part of it, on Facebook. And these things get repeated. And the people who repeated the fake news the most were the Trump people. Mm -hmm. And in fact, some very high percentage of the um, uh, Twitter traffic about Clinton emails and stuff like that came initially out of this troll farm and was then amplified. Now, interestingly, Ed, one of the things about the Russian denial of this was they said the Russian government did not do this. Well, you know, what they're doing is like, you, <laughs> Technically. Know, oh, you know, this guy who happens to be a friend of Putin's, uh, who has a lot of money because the Russian government has allowed him to make a lot of money and has paid for this activity and would never have dreamed of doing it without the approval of the Russian government that, you know, they may later on say, well, these... The government didn't do it. This was not an, an, an official activity. Um, but it does leave us at an interesting place in U.S.-Russia relations, you know, which doesn't really get talked about a lot here. But, but you know, everybody in the United States except one person and his two idiot sons and Mike Flynn's idiot son, you know, don't uh, you now believe <laughs> that, the, that, the, that the Russians did this thing. They, they, well, Fox News as well don't, but don't seem to believe it. I mean, they're, they're also parroting um, Trump's line on this, as they do pretty much on everything else. Florida well, they're, they're parroting it. I, I mean, there is a bit of a chicken and an egg thing there. Yeah. It's, it's unclear whether they're parroting Trump or Trump's parroting Fox News. Which, which came first, the parrot or the egg? We can change the whole thing. <laughs> um, uh, so the, 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 the traitorous Russian <laughs> parrot. <laughs> <laughs> the. Um, the, the impact on U.S.-Russia relations is, in the first instance, the, the, the way I read this, is that Mueller is, Mueller, Mueller is now much harder to fire. Um, and I think that's sakes. more important, For much more sake. important. How long have you been in this country? Uh, Twelve years. Yeah. How would you say the name of the special <laughs> prosecutor, the special counsel? Mueller. Mueller. Corey, how would you say it? Mueller. I'm just in trying Munich, to help. In Munich, they would say Mueller. Mueller. Yeah, so you were using your your Bavarian pronunciation. I was indeed. I was channeling channeling my inner Bavarian. Um, is that he's now Muller? Trump, by the way, has counted Mue on all Mueller. of us channeling our inner Bavarians. But that's he is um, is is now it's now much much harder to fire than he was. That's excellent. Before point. last Friday, and I think that's the most important, uh, probably the most important um, effect of this. Because the 13 Russians indicted, none of us are surprised. We all know that the Russians were um, interfering in the election and trolling and botting. And, you know, it didn't actually deal with a whole nother um, shoe that presumably Mueller is going to drop at some point, which is about the hacks of the DNC and the direct Russian government involvement, the GKU and the G GRU's outfits. Cozy Bear and I forget the name. Fancy, Fancy Bear. Bear. Fancy Bear. That's it. Um, and so that's a, that's a whole nother chapter. Paddington Bears. And, Paddington and it's so Bear. weird because Peter, Fancy Peter Bear Rabbit. is the military, and you would think the other guys who are like the you know the the foreign intelligence guys would be fancy, but it's the military guys who are fancy. Yeah. And isn't it Ed Luce's bear, by the way? On, on the oh yeah, that was that was clearly the military guys got to choose the names. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? it's sort of like the way. In political scientists, the realists called themselves realists so that everyone else is by definition unrealistic yeah. out there. But but I think we gave them names. these names. I think the FBI or somebody, I don't know who gave them these well, names. Well, let's not get sidetracked here. The reality is that they were out there and they were doing all of these things. 
And it seems to have worked, you know, and I just, you know, I, I think it's a sign of national decline when your enemies have gigantic successes, particularly when the odds are hugely stacked against them. And if you look at the last 20 years, Osama bin Laden, living in a you know cave practically with a handful of people, struck a blow against the United States. And the result was exactly what he wanted times a thousand. Overreaction, blowing up the Middle East, all this kind of craziness, overspending, huge distraction for the United States. The Chinese have wanted to rise silently in the, on the, in the background and have the U.S. misspend and give them openings, but they haven't wanted to confront us directly or do it. They get this. Osama gets it. And now the Russians. The Russians have said, we can go and reach out and use democracy against these democracies. Spend just a little bit of money. In the, in the indictment, it's $1.2 million a month. And, uh, and we can really throw things into chaos, in, so much into chaos that, you know, complete out-of-this-world scenario where a beauty pageant organizer you know, a, a reality <laughs> show host becomes president of the United States. And it's like, and they, and it worked. And what's more, no penalties. They've paid no right. price well, for it. Well, what's the price? What the how, Sanctions and probably more sanctions. Yeah, these, and the world knows what they did. Oh, yeah, right. So, But don't you think the Russians actually wanted to do it and wanted it to be known? This is the first time they look competent and capable of being American primacy since the end of the Cold War. Yes, but they don't like complete diplomatic isolation. And while they are not completely diplomatically isolated, they are more isolated. And again, it's it's, it's, the game's not over yet. You know, we have sanctions and they're going to be ratcheted up, I believe, because the Russians aren't going to cut it out. I, I, I agree that there are some sanctions. Of course, the beauty pageant reality show host that we mentioned earlier, he's not enforcing a bunch of the sanctions that Congress wanted. Right. And he is impeding our progress on getting tough with them on a whole bunch of other areas. And each country that is affected by this, while it gets upset, whether it's Italians or the British or the Austrians or whomever, they're not sort of coming up with an organized front on this. And if if, if somebody sat there with Putin and said, you know, we're going to do this. What is the downside? This must have looked like a the, a, a huge success. This scenario was a win-win-win, right? Yeah, I think we, we, we're in danger here of empowering Putin a little bit too much, giving him a, a bit too many bragging rights. Um, Trump, you know, through the his own efforts, through the mood of the American electorate and through people like Fox and Infowars and Breitbart, was doing very well anyway. Um, whether Russia tipped this election or, or not, I don't know. But I think that our protection against Russia is as strong as our lack of gullibility. It's it's to do with what people are prepared, the crap people are prepared to believe or not. You mentioned United Front um, in Europe. I think the French handled the Russian um, attacks very well, the Russian info warfare very well in the presidential election last year. I think that there is a deeper problem with 
epistemology in 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 the, to to put it sort of slightly pompously to to you might have to define that um with with <laughs> no, <I'm kidding. laughs> with yeah with um and with everybody all of those deep state nerds are out there with their their ed loose dictionaries going wait what's what is what is it? It's like an English Toulouse dictionary that they've got there going. <laughs> um, so I th- I think we're in danger of giving Putin um, more bragging rights than he deserves. Well, but I wasn't. I actually wasn't doing that. I I wasn't saying he tipped the scales. Although no, in reality, no, I, I, he had an effect on the election. We just don't know how to quantify it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is he had an effect. He did stir things up. They undertook this plan. And they paid very, very low price for it so far. So far. But I think this is getting more painful. And I think these indictments, going back to what you started with, these 13 Russians that were named, this does this is not meaningless. Because while, of course, Russia does not extradite to the United States, eventually, at some point, someone's going to slip up and forget and go to Estonia. There was somebody who was indicted on, I think it was credit card fraud or something, who who sort of forgot and went to Estonia and was, I think it was Estonia, and was recently snatched, you know, under the Interpol rules and brought back to the States and is sitting in a U.S. jail right now. So all these people know, oh, my gosh, I can't leave Russia now, you know, unless you go to a friendly country like Ecuador. And even Ecuador is getting a little less friendly towards our friend uh, Julian Assange. So, so, you know, I think I think it does send a very clear message. And, and I think more importantly, getting back to what Ed was saying earlier, it shows that this investigation is indeed about Russia and what Russia did. It's not about Trump, first and foremost. That's a secondary issue. Well, this investigation is about that. And I think we have to, you know, one of the things that, of course, happened was that there was this goofy and yeah, I mean, this this indictment came out and then these goofy Trump responses came out and they were, you know, sort of keying off of the Rosenstein statement, which said this indictment does not contain an implication that there was collusion or that it had an effect on the election, which, by the way, I bet wasn't in his statement prior to his visit to the White <laughs> House that morning, yeah. but may have gotten inserted in it after the effect. But it is this indictment. And as you point out, um, and let me turn to Corey on this, but, you know, has been pointed out, there is still an indictment to come almost certainly on the hacking. There is still an indictment or several to come almost certainly on financial ties between um, the Russians and Trumpsters. And that seems to have moved along a little bit with the news that Manafort's former deputy Gates has agreed to a plea which will turn him against Manafort, uh, which in turn may turn Manafort against or enable Manafort to be turned against Trump. But so you've got several more. And and somebody, I think I I was watching on uh, CNN, somebody made the argument that essentially what is being done here is Mueller is sort of building an octopus in reverse that there are each one of these things (laughs) is a a track, you know, as a tentacle that goes back to one central connective idea. And the central connective... I was going to say a puzzle, but octopus. Well, it's interesting. Octopus in reverse. What is the idea? It's Trump. In other words, everything leads back to some connective tissue between all of these things. What do you think of that, Corey? That sounds quite plausible to me. Um... I think people are underestimating, 
so the White House keeps trying to say, this is over, the indictment has come out. Um, and they said that when uh, the when the indictments against Manafort uh, and others were early on. And now we have these. It sounds to me like is methodically working from the outside in to build a case, both, uh, both a paper trail and also a public case for indictments to come. That is, uh, you know, if you accept that this uh, happened and is plausible. And of course, Mueller doesn't issue indictments. He actually makes the case and a court issues the indictments. So the validation that's going on that these are legitimate courses for inquiry and that there is a legal basis for continuing to pursue them. I, I do think he's working up what uh, Herman Kahn in, uh, would have called the ladder of escalation. Do you actually have to refer to Herman Kahn to become sort of modern conservative? Like you, there's like a certain number of references that you have to make every so often just just to prove that or is that Absol just a Yes, that is absolutely true. You have to be able to do the crosswalk between Herman Kahn and Dr. Strangelove before you get admitted to the Sisterhood of Strategists. The, wow, the Sisterhood of Strategists. I like yeah. that. I really like the idea that there is a sisterhood of strategists. <laughs> um, that, well, by the way, Evelyn, when I was looking at the pictures of Munich, that didn't look like no sisterhood of strategists to me. <laughs> no, <laughs> that, that, no. That looked like it's a bunch a, of old white dudes. It's a bunch of old white dudes, generally speaking, yes. Um, and a few of us bust in there. Um, and sometimes they invite some African heads of state or you know Middle Eastern heads of state to provide a little diversity. Um, that's the Iranians did that this time, did they not? They were there, yes, they were there. Um, but you know, none of these people are there in force. Um, it's it's a very graying, also graying uh, group. But uh, yeah, and if I you get took more a into, picture, if you took a picture of that audience and put it in black and white, and said this was 1955, it would look no different. It would look no different. There's, you know, I mean. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they do. Uh, maybe back then they had joke, but that was fantastic. Oh, sorry. It's okay. Yes, Corey. But you know what? I would venture to say that there would have been even fewer women, maybe zero women in the 50s. OK, well, I'm, gl I'm glad we're making progress and have achieved in the Munich Security Conference, say, late 1960s levels of yeah, audience yeah. In integration. Um, yeah. By the way, was there any sort of headline out of Munich that you want to share with us here? Well, my takeaway was U.S. leadership is missing. Therefore, the Europeans are even more fractured than ever. And that was on display there. The world is, as you said before, um, exploding, meaning um, there's a greater, I mean, the DNI's report last week when they testified about worldwide threats, there's a sentence in there where they all agree, you know, that for the, he's speaking for the intelligence community, that there's a greater danger of interstate, major interstate conflict, not Russia, Ukraine, major interstate conflict now than there has been since the end of the Cold War. That's a huge statement. And in Munich, Everyone's like whistling by the graveyard. And where are the dangers? Well, they could actually be in Western Europe, believe it or not, because we're not doing a good job 
working as a transatlantic alliance to smooth over differences that they have to help them smooth them over, because uh, I really believe the U.S. has a role there. Um, second, there's the war in the Middle East, primarily concentrated in Syria, Iraq. However, with Israel now really increasing its actions there, military action there, it's going to, I believe, expand and get worse. We're about to see a, a huge humanitarian catastrophe within days outside of Damascus, another Aleppo. The world is silent. It is disgusting to me. Um, uh, then the rise of China, that wasn't discussed very much, but but the, but the real... Uh, the the real dangers that are looming out there it feels eerily like you know we're back to before world war 1 maybe where everyone knows something's happening but there's no leadership to try to prevent it can i pile on to that david pile on you know sure absolutely uh, because uh, i very rarely quote richard haas but he did uh say a couple of years ago that this period, we may very well one day come to call the interwar period for exactly the reasons that Evelyn's mentioning. The takeaways I took as, a, as an armchair traveler of what was going on at the Munich Security Conference are, first of all, uh, it's becoming much more of a celebrity show and tell, right? Yeah. Uh, Poroshenko shows Russian passports that were collected off of people fighting in the Donbass. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu showcases the Iranian uh, drone that was shot down over Israel. Lavrov right? shows like, off his tan. I don't need... <laughs> Lavrov, I got to say, if you're listening to this, Mr. Foreign Minister, you got to wear a hat. You got to stay out of the sun. This is not going to end well for you. I mean, no, very, David, this is our natural? Californian revenge on the Russians. They are going to go to Miami without sunscreen. And that is how we are going to limit the risk they pose to our country. Um, two other things I noticed watching the watching the news reporting and tweeting about the Munich Security Conference. Um one is how combative, right? That that I think ever since what was it, Evelyn? Correct me, uh, please, if I've got the date wrong. But I think it was 2007 that Putin made yes. his mm -hmm. uh, conflict with the West speech uh, that that should have showed us where Russia was headed. Correct. Ever since then, it has gotten much more combative. The National Security Advisor was extremely combative. Uh, in his comments, uh, the, it looks like this is not a forum where people exchange ideas, but it's increasingly the celebritization of this process. But the yeah. other thing I noticed was it looks to me like the National Security Advisor just made a fantastic play for managing his exit. Because if any of the reports that that the president has lost confidence in him and that now that John Kelly is the chief of staff, the president tends to get national security advice from him and he's more in sync with other members of the cabinet and that, that Lieutenant General McMaster is going to get kicked overboard by the president. If any of that is true, H.R. McMaster made a brilliant play to reshape his legacy because the strength of his position on the Russians at Munich will give him for why he got fired by a president. That is, he's out of sync with the president's position on Russia, not 
uh, he's doing enormous damage to civil military relations or all of the nonsense he's talking about North Korea being undeterrable or that the process isn't working well. And that's the National Security Advisor shop. It will he will now have a great case to make that he got axed because he took a much stronger position on Russia than the president wanted. Well, let me put you on the spot here, Corey, before we turn to Ed and allow him to talk about Munich and appeasement. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> oh, let's rush right on to Munich and appeasement, shall well, we? No, no, I know you'd enjoy that. But but just do you think that McMaster is going to be able to survive this? You know, I don't know. It it that the president countered him in a tweet can't be a good sign uh, for his longevity. But I also suspect that um, that this isn't that it will be a good story to tell. That's why I got asked. But it's unlikely to be the actual story because it looks like the NSC has been losing influence since General Kelly became chief of staff. But who knows? Maybe General Kelly will get pitched overboard uh, before General McMaster does. Well, it's interesting. Did I just say General Kelly? Excuse me. That's a major civil military violation. John Kelly got pitched overboard. Lieutenant General Kelly, because he's on active duty. Lieutenant Lieutenant General General McMaster, because he's on active duty. Okay, so Corey's tiptoeing around this. Kelly's definitely, you know, his time is numbered and his days are numbered. McMaster's days are also numbered. Uh, you know, these guys won't be around in two or three months. Um, but it does raise another question here, which is what direction does this administration go as it gets deeper and deeper into the weeds of this Russia problem, which is, after all, a foreign policy problem, and starts, you know, getting this kind of churn? Um, I don't know, Ed, whether you've got... Well, you could, I mean, Dan Coates, you know, also testified to Congress last week that Russia had interfered with the election and was likely to do so again in the midterm. So Dan Coates is um, perhaps marking himself out as a dissident by by Trump's standards. Um, Look, I think Trump's main problem with taking any action on Russia... You know, it, it, leaving aside any possible compromise that Russia might have on him, on his finances or other things, is that he thinks this election um, is something that people don't think he won. Um, and any suggestion that he didn't win it fairly and squarely is something that's a deeply neuralgic thing for him. He responds, you, you can choreograph it to Fox and Friends and other Fox shows he watches when they raise this issue when they raise the issue of of, of what um, Trump's opponents are saying about him, he tweets straight away. And he's, he's, his nerves are raw, as raw as they were on November the 9th, um, about the legitimacy of his victory. So I think that's the first reason why we cannot expect him to... I think you're way to... wrong. His nerves are way more raw than they were on November the 9th. He is... I mean, this this weekend... He was holed up. He couldn't play golf because there was a tragedy nearby. He had to wait two days to play golf. He was watching the news, and he was just tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. And the guy is, like, unhinged. He blamed the shooting, the Parkland shooting, on the FBI spending sure. too much time on his investigation. I well, think, and which, on the locals. It was the, disgraceful. But that was the worst. To me, of all of Trump's tweets of all time thus yeah. far, 
That was the most I, disgusting. I, I think it was amongst them, but I, I, I think we forget how Crowded consistently con- disgusting he's been. Um, but at any rate, that's, that's, uh, that's the rawest nerve. Um, is uh, any any sense that his his election was illegitimate? Now there there might be other reasons why he won't take action against Russia. Um, perhaps the the you know the Steele dossier is correct on this point that there is a lot of compromising material there, and he's being blackmailed. His his actions are certainly consistent with an individual who's being blackmailed. So, in answer to your question, a churn of people, you know, McMaster being replaced, I don't know. Um, by by um, Tom Cotton or Nikki Haley, say um, Pompeo replacing Tillerson. Um, it, it doesn't really matter who's in place. What matters is Trump, uh, and I, I I wouldn't feel particularly reassured. Ed is exactly right. Ed, you're exactly right. Good. Good. Finally, <laughs> <laughs> at some point it had to happen. Um, epistemologically speaking, but um, th- th- in any event. Uh, I, you know, I do think that that's sort of overlooked in all of this. You know, somebody called me up, a reporter called me up today to talk about um, McMaster's relationship with Trump. And, you know, it was, a, it was a good conversation. It's a natural story. It came out of this Munich Security Conference. But here's the thing. The National Security Act of 1947 doesn't give the National Security Advisor any particular power. The National Security Act of 1947 doesn't give the NSC a particular power. All of that stuff comes from a daily calculus made in the mind of the president about how much power they want to give to that person. If the president is um, unwilling to trust the National Security Advisor, unwilling to empower the National Security Advisor, or, you know, here's here's a wild one. Unwilling to read the stuff done by the NSC, you know, to read the reports. Well, that's and, the intelligence community, but okay. Yeah. No, but, well, no, but remember, the NSC was actually created to funnel all that through and provide some coherent thing. If the president didn't do that, the NSC is not only dysfunctional, it doesn't exist. It's not, it doesn't work. It doesn't have any mandate of its own. And if a president becomes more and more under siege, you know, we've seen in the past, Nixon became under siege, but what he did was he empowered Kissinger and everybody else empowered Kissinger. And so there was not a void there. But if Trump disconnects, shuts down, churns over these people, doesn't it? Th- th- this, this whole sort of, cere- you know, sort of uh, cerebral cortex of the United States government is removed, uh, uh, numbed, lobotomized, something. But but, I mean, right now that whole part that cerebral cortex operates completely separate from the what's the 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 the, the front part of your brain where you frontal you're just, lobe yes frontal lobe <laughs> yeah. Trump right yeah so so I mean it's already disconnected the difference is that that the frontal lobe is not inhibiting the 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 the, the more sophisticated part of the brain from taking interagency decisions you know because that's basically the NSC is where the the relevant parts of the cabinet get together and make very important decisions. True, uh, maybe a little bit Trump has inhibited the implementation of sanctions. I'm told by people inside the administration at senior levels, sub-cabinet but senior, that there will be more on sanctions, that they will be implementing them. Um, I, so I'm willing to give them a little bit more time. Um, but but I, but I So I actually see it the opposite. This president can fly off the handle and fly whatever, you know, do whatever he wants. 
but there is a certain amount of work still being done. But Corey, you know, I mean, the German foreign minister over the past couple of days said, we don't know which America to believe. We don't know whether to believe, uh, you know, the Secretary of State or official statements or tweets. Um, and and clearly, if the president's headed one way and the like, for example, Friday, Mueller hands down an indictment. Thirteen Russians attacked in the indictment. Many people say this shows a Russian plot, it reconfirms with a higher standard of proof than even the Intelligence Committee had. There's a Russian plot. The president spends the whole weekend expressing his views on everything from this shooting tragedy to the height of Adam Schiff to um, NASCAR. And at no point, <laughs> at no point does he criticize the Russians for what was brought up in this. And so if you're in Russia, you're getting a message. Well, these people can do what they want, but the president's not on board. And if the president's not on board, that's a big shaper of U.S. foreign policy, is it not? You are exactly right, David. Um, they, oh, my God. Evelyn, now I feel left out. Well, Evelyn is left out. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, Although you did the, say pi you were piling on to my earlier statement, so maybe that's close. That's better. I'll, I'll take exactly that. It's like right. a B. Right. It's like yeah, a B. It's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I see that the voices of of kind of much more traditional American foreign policy that we hear from the Secretary of State, from the Secretary of Defense, from the Director for National Intelligence, from the National Security Advisor even. I mean, another thing that struck me at the Munich Security Conference was how far back Lieutenant General McMaster had walked from the McMaster Cohen Wall Street Journal piece. Right, his speech was all about allies and all all sorts of things that were dissonant with what he and Gary Cohen had laid out as the administration's thinking on America first. That cannot make up for a president who is fundamentally unsound. And Evelyn, I sure hope you're right that that there is more to come on the sanctions that made off because Europeans were arguing that their companies would be any, all of that could be true. But at the moment at which a decision has to be made on a crucial foreign policy thing, so far on most of those decisions, Syria, Afghanistan, the president has made sensible choices in line with the recommendations of his cabinet. But on others, Jerusalem, the way he's talking about North Korea, it is by no means clear that the president will allow himself to be persuaded not to do something that is injurious to our interests and to the international order. The president is fundamentally the weakness in the system, and there is no way in our system you can adequately shield against the president's influence. We're coming up in our last couple of minutes here. I want to give Evelyn a chance to be exactly right. Well, I just want to make it clear that what I meant was that the government can keep functioning, that certain decisions can be made. But it doesn't substitute for the fact that if you have a president off in left field or right field, that that you you don't have the leadership that we need for our country and for the world. And so I guess Evelyn my bottom line is exactly right. Oh, woo! 
<laughs> so that's my bottom line. That there's it's a lack of leadership. <laughs> yes. It's 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 a, it, right. It's an absence of leadership. Well, I mean, clearly that's where we are in America today, uh, and it's extremely extremely disturbing. And it goes far beyond just this 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 Russia case. Which I'm sorry, White House, bad news. We're in the early days of this yet. Uh, there there you know your mission accomplished statements. That it's just it's not going to happen. There are many many other elements of this. And I believe that the Mueller investigations already said they expect this to go on well into next year. Um, and so we are going to have to sort of brace ourselves for that and for stories to break around it. But it does have an effect uh, prior to whether or not it has any effect on the Congress or impeachment or prosecution. And that's the effect on uh, the president and, and compromising him and putting pressure on him and and also on, on issues like we've discussed here today. We'll talk about a few more of those on the next episode of Deep State Radio. I encourage you to join, and I encourage you to go tell a friend. If you go and you can send us a tweet or an email and you can say, I got five new people to subscribe to Deep State Radio, and you're telling the truth, and we know because we're the deep state, um, uh, we'll, we'll send you a mug. No, seriously, we'll send you a mug if you just get five deep state swag. If you get five new people to subscribe, because we want to, you know, make this um, a movement simply by listening to Ed Luce alone. You can increase your vocabulary by fifteen percent. Um, Maybe you should have your high school children listen, you know, exactly. so they can score better on their SAT. Test. Exactly. If you're from New Jersey, twenty five percent. In any event, we we encourage you that I'm. That's me, folks. I'm making fun of my own here. Uh, I'm from New York, so I'm just nodding. No, yeah, no, exactly. Superiorly, as if the rest of the country had anything to do with where you're from. Um, in, in, any, in any event, um, uh, so keep tuning in. Do your best to spread the word about Deep State Radio, and we'll see you again in a few days. Thanks, Corey. Thanks, Evelyn. Thanks, Ed. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.